Welcome to Not Meddling, Just Mothering. We are so glad you are here today, and we are excited because we have a special guest. We are going to be doing a series on empty nesting, and we have a great resource for you. Our guest today is going to tell us all about it. Please remember to subscribe and take a listen. Hello, Missy. How are you today? Doing great. Just another great week to do a podcast and to do a fantastic episode. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Today is the first episode in our series, Finding Joy in the Empty Nest, which is a book written by Dr. Jim Burns. And it's an excellent resource for empty nesters and those who are soon to be empty nesters. To mark this series, we want to do something different. So we're going to do a chance for you guys to win a copy of the book so you can follow along with us. Yeah, I think that's awesome. This is our very first giveaway and we're excited that it's actually this book. So listen until the end and then you'll find out all the details. To begin our series, we'll be talking with the author of Finding Joy in the Empty Nest, Dr. Jim Burns, who is the president of Homeward. He speaks to thousands of people around the world each year. He primarily writes and speaks on the values of Homeward, which are strong marriages, confident parents, empowered kids, and healthy leaders. He has close to 2 million resources in print in 20 languages. Wow, you're such a busy man. Welcome to Not Meddling, Just Mothering, Dr. Burns, and thank you for joining us today. I'm thrilled to be with you, and I love the title of your podcast. It's awesome. It's, yeah, it's something we try to live every day. Right? Yeah, try. That's the key word. Yeah. I've got scars. You can't see them, but I've got some scars on my tongue from not meddling, <laughs> wanting to meddle, but just biting my tongue. Yep, I have those too. We're going to do our wins today, and we're going to have Dr. Burns join us. Missy, would you like to go first with your win? Sure. My win is that my oldest, who, as our audience knows, is married with three children, and he has been working in a job for about nine years now. And recently, some changes have come up in the last year, and he got transferred. And then they came up again recently. And my win is that when I spoke to him this weekend, he said, you know what, Mom? I am at so much peace if I get transferred again, if my position is eliminated, I'm okay. Because God brought me this far. And a year ago when the big changes were happening, I was scared. I didn't know what would happen. But God has brought me through to this point. And whatever happens, I'm ready for it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, I literally, Jesus could take me to heaven right now in this situation. And I would say, one of my adult children have said, it is well with my soul. And when they have that kind of trust in God, then you're like, okay, I, I have arrived. They have arrived in some sense, not forever. And everything's solved and magical unicorns and sprinkled cupcakes, but that is such a big deal to have an adult child really just say, God knows best. And so that's my win this week. That is a very good win. Yep, I agree. So I'll go first and then I'll let Dr. Burns go and, and then share more about himself as well. My win, mine is kind of a little one compared to that. I got a phone call from my son this weekend uh, and it was my birthday weekend. So I uh, was expecting it. And this should be a win in itself because he's the one that told me, don't expect me to call you a lot, mom, because I don't call. But he's actually 
underpromised and overdelivered because he's called so many times more than I expected since we've been gone. But anyway, the win is that he called and I asked, what are you doing? And he said, we just got home from church and his girlfriend came to the house with him. And he said, and we're making lunch. And I'm like, you're cooking? You're not going out to eat? And she said, we cook all the time now because we know how much it costs to go out and eat. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Because she recently moved out of her mom and dad's house and she's renting a room. So she is getting the understanding of how much it costs to live out on your own. That's just a little win. But, you know, in reality, it's actually a big win. So they actually make out a menu, go to the grocery store together and pick up groceries. And then they and my daughters will cook meals at the house. So it's just awesome. I'm just so proud of him because he's the youngest boy, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So Dr. Burns, what is your win? And then after that, can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Well, I love both of your wins. I think they're huge (laughs) wins. Those are awesome. Incredible. Once I'm looking at both of you, I can't imagine that you guys actually have kids who are in that age bracket. So anyway, <laughs> I don't know what you both eat, but keep eating it because you sure look great. Oh, um, thanks. Well, my win, I thought about it big time last weekend. Our whole family got together and we don't get this privilege a lot, but all of my daughters, I had a daughter living in New York and she just moved uh, with her husband uh, back to Los Angeles. And that's about an hour and a half from us. And so we all went to Palm Springs this weekend. So for one thing, we had a family win just because we played together. We think that having serious fun is a big deal. And we did, but all, everybody was hanging out and there's three grandchildren. And my win was I looked at my wife, Kathy, and we've been married 48 years. And we both came from dysfunctional families and parenting for us. I write books on it, but I'm saying it was hard. And I looked at how my girls, my daughters, and really their husbands too, were parenting the three kids. And I just put my arm around Kathy and I said, you know what? This is amazing. Both of the daughters, because there's one who doesn't have kids yet. I said, both of these daughters, they're they're amazing parents. They're so much better than we were, you know, when we had little kids. And I mean, honestly, Kathy teared up because she goes, yeah, that's a dream we've had. And who would have thought? We were especially thinking about our youngest. And we went, this is the kid who wouldn't, you know, clean up the dog messes. I couldn't even imagine her changing diapers. And she's changing her son's diaper and what. But anyway, awesome experience. And that was a, it was just a beautiful win. Kind of the and this will get into a little bit of who I am. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a somewhat dysfunctional family. My, my dad was an alcoholic. My grandpa, my mom's side was, uh, died of actually alcoholism. So they weren't horrible people. It was just that it was dysfunctional and not Christian. Kathy, I met at a Christian school right after I'd become a Christian. And she had the same experience, not with alcoholism, but her family was dysfunctional. So our goal in life was to be what we call the transitional generation, meaning that Bible says you inherit the sins of a previous generation. And, and we were kind of doing that. And over that first year, I was a youth pastor. We would argue on the way to church. And then I would uh, talk to the kids about the joy of a Christian family feeling really <laughs> hypocritical going, oh, this is this is great here. I'm hating my wife right now. And I'm speaking to you about how great God is in family. But a year into that, we made a decision to either recover or repeat those sins. And we made a decision to recover. And I'd say it's one of the most important decisions we ever made. And watching now my kids be in that transitional generation, um, doing such a good job, you know, the burden of the dysfunction was on us. And so we wanted to break the chain of dysfunction so that there'd be a transition and a new, for years, trajectory of a, of a different kind of a family. And 
And we're seeing that happen. And it's really, really so great. And so I think that brings me into, you know, my background was youth ministry. I can remember years into youth ministry, I'd kind of go, wow, these parents aren't going to church, but they're dropping their kids off. It's too bad the kids couldn't drop the parents off and we could help the parents because they seem to be the ones who need it. So I made a transition actually in my work. And I wrote a book called Partnering with Parents in Youth Ministry. Started talking about how can we help parents because they really are the dominant influence in kids' lives. So Homeward was born and Homeward, where I'm president, we have the privilege of being the largest provider of parenting seminars in the U.S. Like I think it was mentioned, we have well over 2 million resources now. And God has really used it in a neat way. We come alongside parents. We come alongside churches to help parents as well. So that's what we do. Love doing it. Going in two days to go do a Refreshing Your Marriage conference. I'm in California right now to Minnesota, where it's quite a bit colder. And I love doing marriage conferences. I love doing parenting seminars. And that's kind of what Homeward does, not just me, but all of us who are involved in that, what we call kind of a grassroots movement. That is awesome. That's awesome. I have a son in Minnesota. Your son is very cold right now. Yes. He just called right before this interview and he showed me outside the window. He's like, yeah, they canceled classes for the first time. He goes to Bethlehem College yeah. and Seminary out there. Okay. He says the first time they've canceled classes since he's been there. Yeah. Well, they're very hardy people. I was supposed to fly uh, tomorrow and we're actually postponing it. So we're going to come right in under the, the banner to speak, but it's because flights are canceled like crazy to mm -hmm. that part of the country. That's why I moved out of the cold. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're so glad you've shared your experience with us and let's jump right into the questions. It's, it's amazing to see that you took what you were doing in terms of a non-Christian family and saying, we can do this better. We can do this God's way. Even us, we talk about how, not that we parented so perfectly and not that we parented so bad, but I always say, what a blessing that we've gotten to this age group and our kids speak to us. They call us, they ask for advice. You're like, what did I ever do to deserve your love? Because I remember those times I was too busy for you or I ignored you or, you know, I was wrapped up in myself and my problems and we didn't always give our kids that place. So sure. it's we're like, what a privilege it is to be in a relationship with our adult children. What would you say motivated you to write a book on empty nesting and how did you narrow it down to what is in the book? Because there's so many ways that topic could go. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I wrote a book. Uh, in 2019 called Doing Life with Your Adult Children, Keep Your Mouth Shut, The Welcome Mat Out. Pretty much that describes the, the whole book in some ways, just the subtitle. When I was done with the book, I had a huge, uh, huge folder on Empty Nest. I, hadn't, I was going to write a chapter on it and I just never got around to it. And so it was the natural next part, if you would. Anytime I'm going to write, I then start talking to parents and uh I do it with focus groups. So I, I literally spoke to hundreds of people about the empty nest. And it was interesting because when I spoke to them, I didn't realize it would elicit so much emotion. And a, a friend of mine who was helping me on the focus groups, it was during pandemic. It was mainly online, Zoom, instead of you know meeting with people and stuff. And uh, my friend said, you know, people cried in every focus group except for one. And I go, I think I cried during that one. But, but it really brought a lot of emotion. Um, you know, they, they had, you, you'd spent two decades of your life investing day to day with your kids. And all of a sudden now you're in an empty nest. And for a lot of the people, they, 
buried their marriage issues under the mat. And so they had to resurface some of those. They had lost their identity. Moms, especially, I felt were ones who were just struggling like crazy with losing their identity. I mean, my wife, the way I described it with Kathy was she was the um, son and my three daughters were the planets, you know, revolving around the sun. And I think I jumped right. in there at least at home. And all of a sudden the planets were gone. And she had to figure out who am I and what do I do with the rest of my life kind of thing. What I did, I struggled with some of the same grief, but I moved into, well, I, I just worked harder. So, I mean, I went into the office earlier because I wasn't now with my kids. I came home later because it was just Kathy and me or whatever. And so back to the answer to the questions, what I found was I found people had some deep needs to kind of reinvent their life and they needed to be motivated that way. And I, I came across a phrase that I loved and I used it in the book that games are one in the second half. And mm. I realized when I started doing research, so that was my personal experience. Then I started doing research and I realized, you know, we may be in the empty nest longer than when we had kids. And that's crazy. So the average empty nester is an empty nester. You can Google me on this to see if I'm right, but this was like six months ago, 48 years, nine months um, of age. So again, we have a long life. Now that wasn't Kathy and me. Ours was later and our kids boomerang like eight times so, you know, we, we had empty nest, not empty nest, empty nest, mm -hmm. not empty nest. It was a little bit schizophrenic. But the point being is that I found people who really needed some help in terms of basically reinventing their life and reinventing the relationship that they had with their adult kids. They still have a relationship with their adult kids. But you mentioned that your son said, I'm not going to call you as much. And, you know, I think all of us have had those kinds of experiences where we want them to connect with us more than they really kind of want to connect. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, yeah. what is that? <laughs> but then I realized I was, I was going to college. I called my mom and dad on a, a phone because, of course, we didn't have cell phones mm -hmm. then every Sunday. And there were Sundays I forgot. It didn't mean I didn't love them. I just didn't get around to it. I had other things to do. And so we have to re, we, we, in many ways, we do have to reinvent ourselves and we have to find um, other passions doesn't mean that we don't make family a huge part of it, but it's in a different way because they're now adults. Yeah, absolutely. And I've told a story in previous podcast where I went to the grocery store with my husband and I went to grab the milk. And instead of getting a whole gallon, I got the half gallon. I turned to the lady next to me and I said, we only need a half gallon now because the kids have all left. And my husband's like, don't tell people that they don't care. <laughs> But I was grieving. I was like, yeah. my babies are gone and we only need half a gallon of milk. I would go to cook a meal and there would be all this leftover food. I was like, I'm sick of spaghetti. He's sick of spaghetti, but there's nobody to eat. Oh. You know, we, our last kid, we would say to him, you serve last. Let us serve ourselves because he would serve the whole pot himself. You know, he yeah. was just he, he's a kind of guy that will go out and buy right. two dinners at a restaurant. That's why yep. he says he can't afford to date. He's like, I, I need all the food, but, but I yeah, mean, it, it, it is crazy. And so my next question is you talk about empty nest syndrome and yeah. how would you describe it? Because I think yeah. I was the poster child. For yeah, well, I think you just described it for me. Missy, actually, <laughs> I would describe it actually in the way that you just said it and what Kathy and I did in that with the empty nest syndrome, what we find and you, it's not a psychological syndrome. It's more of an experiential syndrome. And I, I actually have a quiz in the book where they can answer 10 questions. They kind of find out how they're doing in it. But the emptiness syndrome is that we we haven't really experienced the rite of passage into it 
to the empty nest because we're still looking toward um, or behind us at what was once, and we and we're grieving it. You know, C.S. Lewis said that um, anytime there's change in our life, there's a sense of loss. And if people experience the emptiness syndrome in a really tough way, they're not really embracing the loss and then moving forward. And it really is a sense of loss. I mean, it's a sense of loss that, you know, now you don't, or we did this. I mean, Kathy will go, I go, Kathy, who's going to eat all this chicken? She goes, I know, I forgot, you know, and we're <laughs> still doing that, right? Yeah. So the point being is that people who experience the empty nest oftentimes experience the syndrome and they experience it because of a loss of, of a different kind of a relationship with their kids. But also if they're married, it's a loss because they were so child focused that now they're looking up and going, wait, who are you? And do I want to spend the rest of my life with you? And they have to reinvent their relationship. You know, by far the, um, the, if you look at the demographic that has divorce, it's the empty nest it's age 50 and over. So what happened in America quietly over the years is that the divorce rate keeps going to a age wise higher level. So right now 50, and above is the highest level of divorce. That was mm. not the case when I was doing graduate work. So that empty nest sneaks into our marriages. It sneaks into our relationship with God. It, it sneaks into our relation, our work relationships. And sometimes a lot of it is just, you know, who am I and what, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. This is really I, fresh I for me. Sad. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is fresh for her. She's just a new empty nester, but it's sad that we put our marriages on the back burner. So, I mean, not just on the back burner, but on low, low fire (laughs) and say, I don't need, that's not as important as the kids. Right. Right, right, right. And and those of us who, who did that to an extent, then we struggle with the empty nest more, but it is, I mean, it's, it's new for you, but I remember when we dropped off our youngest, uh, we worked for a couple of days going to target and bed, bath and beyond and all the places getting her, you know, ready for college at the, at the school. And then we gave our hugs and I think she was like, okay, you guys have been here for a week and let's, <laughs> let's get moving. And uh, we didn't talk for half an hour. And all of a sudden I look over at Kathy and she's got a tear running down her cheek. And I go, are you okay, babe? And she goes, yeah, no, I, I'm fine. I go, do you want to talk about it? She goes, no, 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 I, I'm okay. Our youngest was going to school in, in the central part of California on the coast. And so we're coming down and I said, hey, do you want to stop in Santa Barbara? There, we have some great spots. We'd love to have lunch with in Santa Barbara or dinner or whatever. And um, she goes, no, why don't we just go home? And what, what I realized right there was she was experiencing a depth of, of pain. And yet it's our job to let them go. But yet when we do that, it's, it's killing us. And it was killing me too. So we get home and it's totally quiet. And all of a sudden the band starts playing at the high school. And my kids were cheerleaders, all three of my girls. And Kathy goes, should we go to the game? Because we'd gone for nine years to games, mm-hmm. okay? Not to watch the football, but to, you know, watch the cheerleaders, which is funny for dad to say. But, and I said, I think we need to do other stuff now. We need to, I mean, it'd be great to go to a game, but I don't think that's going to be a part of our habit. And you know what? That was hard for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, early, when it's early, you, you really feel it. You have to adjust. If right. you don't adjust, you don't do well in the empty nest. Yeah. And mine was not the typical empty nest uh, scenario. I actually left my kids in the house we were living in back in California. My husband and I came to join a ministry here in, in Fort Collins. So it was kind of more excitement that we're getting to go start something new. And I mean, as a matter of fact, I had the book, your book with me on the trip here and I was reading it and I was like, okay, this is interesting stuff. 
But then when we started reading it again this past month to for this yeah. uh, series, it hit me a whole new way. It was like a slap in the face, and and it was just yeah. uh, actually very helpful. Back then, when we were driving here, it was like, oh yeah, that's interesting to know, but it, it hit me a whole different way. So it was just no, you know, very no, interesting. That's where people tell me that. Mm-hmm. Because they made a they made the transition the same time the kids did. To be honest, it wasn't as hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still hard. There's parts. Oh my gosh, I'm lonely, and they haven't called me. And you know, we're walking around the mall, going, "Why don't the kids call? Why don't the kids call?" You know, things right. like that. I get it. But because you were making a transition, it's kind of what I say in the book to do. But you all did it. You know, yeah, at a similar time. Very interesting, right? So yeah, I don't yeah. know that we can all do that, but no, it's a good time. Good timing. To, for us to make some of the transitions at the same time that our kids make transitions. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Like and uh, the thing is about it, though, it's hitting me hard now. So, so yeah. you know, it's months after, and now I'm like, oh, I'm feeling it, especially after the first birthday without them. You know, my first birthday without yes. them was just yes. really difficult. So in the book, in one of the chapters, you talk about empty or full, challenge or opportunity. Can you give us a little insight that may help someone to see that it is an opportunity instead of a challenge? I mean, at the beginning for me, it was the opportunity of moving to a new ministry, but now it's challenging. I think most look at it as a challenge at the beginning because they don't move like what happened with you. And I think actually what happens is is we're, we're still looking back and we're not beginning the process of looking forward. And so one of the principles in the book, and I write each chapter as a principle, but one of the principles at the very beginning is, you know, as your kids experience, have new experiences, follow their lead. Cause they're, I mean, they're having, a, they're having some cool experiences. I mean, and you know, it's not easy. They want, they, you're still mom, you're still dad, whatever. But I think we have to have new experiences and the way we, we fill our empty nest in positive ways is with some of our choices for the new experiences. I mean, let's face it. Think about all the time you spend with your kids, even when they're teens. I mean, I realize they're not with you 24 seven cause they, they're out on their own. There's so much time and all of a sudden now you have more time. And the question becomes, how are you going to fill that time? So some people fill that time with poor choices or with no choices. And they just watch more TV and eat more ice cream to fill their pain or whatever. Other people say, you know what? Why don't we do something together? So I've got two friends who the way they handled this, and I can't say enough about how good it is. Everybody can't do this, but they took two weeks and they took a driving trip and they had honestly a yellow notebook, one of those kind of things. And they just started talking about what are we going to do with the rest of our life? And it was kind of a neat time for them. And what was interesting is when they told me what they were going to do, none of it was huge. She wanted to start going to a Bible study that she couldn't go to because she'd been busy with the kids. He wanted to go work out. So he joined the health club. Uh, He decided to join a small group. He decided in his work to make some tweaks, that this was a good time to make some tweaks with his work. They, They were really into working out and they were into kind of working on their own spiritual nourishment. That's what they got out of those two weeks. But they also wanted to rekindle their romance. Great place to do it when you're on two weeks going up the you know coast of California on up to Canada. But they decided to you know keep working on it. And so they made commitments to date nights and all that, all basic stuff. I mean, this isn't stuff that any of us would go, oh my gosh, those are amazing ideas. Those are ideas that we could do, but they just committed to it. And that's how they started their process, filling up their their nest slowly instead of like super fast. And that was a really good, I think that's a great way of doing it. I heard you say something about having something interesting going on in your life. And maybe that's even a way to connect with your adult child. And I know 
you know, when we're working on a budget here and then one of our adult children is working on budgeting or we're starting to do meal prepping and we're sending pictures like we made this healthy food. You know, one of us is losing weight. My husband's purposely gaining weight and muscle. Then our kids are helping him with an app to pick out the menu for his workouts. And so that's even a way to connect with your adult child. That's good. That is really good. So after reading your book, I recognize that there are three areas that may need refocusing or recalibrating. One, our relationship with our adult child. Two, ourselves. And three, our relationship with our spouse. Can you touch a a little bit on these and share keys to attaining joy in the empty nest through each of them? Yeah. Well, first of all, I I think it's really important that we, we do reinvent our relationship with our adult children. What I like to say is you're fired. You're fired as a day-to-day parent. That doesn't mean that you're fired as a parent. They still call you mom. They still call you dad. But um, you have to give them the passport to adulthood, even if they're not living it. Because a lot of people and a lot of your listeners, their kids aren't living the faith or they've strayed from faith. They're violating values, things like that. But nevertheless, it's our job to give them the passport. And I think a second one that I would say is the way we communicate with our kids. And I, I, I mean, this is a phrase that resonates. Nobody likes this phrase, but unsolicited advice is taken as criticism. And that's so hard because we've been giving advice to our kids for 18, 20 years or whatever. And then when they leave, uh, now I think we have to actually ask for permission. And you know why it's more important? Because even if you're giving the right advice, if, if it's unsolicited, then they see it as you don't trust that I'm an adult. And so sometimes experience is a better teacher, um, frankly, than advice. So when that happens, I think it's really key that we ask for permission. But what we're really doing is we're changing the relationship from us being in control an adult to child relationship to an adult adult relationship. And actually now we have now we're more of a mentor. And uh, even today, two of my kids called me, asked me some kind of mentoring type questions. And I was like, awesome, this is great. (laughs) Uh, And my kids are in their 30s now. And so, you know, they've kind of been through some of the what, you know, we had the terrible twos. Well, we had the terrible twenties was, you know, just mm. like, what happened to you? What are you doing? <laughs> They've kind of come through that now. And they're, and, and I think part of it was because we learned that the right, you know, change the relationship with your adult children. And then, yeah, I think it's really important that we also begin working on our own soul. What I love about the fact of having more time because our kids are gone is that we can put some of that time and energy into our own soul. You know, I, I talk often about the fact that uh, in the empty nest is when you can really put energy into your own soul. You know, I talk about a thin place that actually I get this from, you know, old Christianity that talks about what is the thin place between heaven and earth. And the thin place for me is a, is a chair in my living room that has like pin on it and it's all ripped up from our grandkids, but it's where I sit and read the Bible every day. I have more time to do that. Kathy and I have more time to pray together, things like that. And so we didn't realize we were making those good decisions back then. Um, I worked out today. You know, I really, I honestly, I don't know if I had, to, I didn't take the time. I mean, I should have worked out, but I didn't. I was too busy with my kids. I mean, is it going to be hanging out with my kids, going to work, hanging out with my kids or working out? And so I just kind of quit it for a while. And that's not healthy. That wasn't smart. I'm not saying that was. So I think we then begin to work on our own, on our own self. But when I'm saying self, soul is a great illustration because it's, it's the integration of everything that you have. You your, your physical health, your mental health, your spiritual health. I mean, we think it's sometimes when people think of soul, they only think of it being spiritual, but it's, it's all of those. Then the last one is with our spouse. And as we talked about, 
um, you know, empty nest can be tough with our spouse. What I'm finding is Kathy and I are making some decisions now about our empty nest life that is kind of cool. I mean, we can spend more time together. And so we we date every week. That's only giving our spouses 1% of our time. <laughs> right. we have to go on with you all the time. But what we have found is we need to go out and do, and not just go to dinner and a movie. I love those. But it's, you know, we'd made a list of, of dates and what we lived by the beach. So one was paddle boarding. So I said, hey, do you want to go paddle boarding? She goes, that's a great idea. It's actually her idea, but I didn't, I didn't give her credit. <laughs> <that she'd written. laughs> But, you know, doing date nights and, and basic things that you can do. We found that uh, we used to spend like what we called our closer time. I'd written a book with her called Closer, and it's a devotional challenging people to spend 20 minutes a week in spiritual compatibility and intimacy. But we found that our spiritual time was also something that we could lean into more. When couples are more spiritually intimate, I think it's the least developed area of intimacy. And, and I get it. We're all busy. But in yeah. our more quiet moments in the empty nest, we could put some energy into that. We've also started volunteering, doing more things together. We walk the dog. I know that sounds totally boring and old people, but that's really a great time for us to, you know, to connect. And uh, well, just doing the basic things of rekindling romance. I had two different people when I was talking at the beginning of the podcast about focusing, either their marriages were going off the rails or people were going, this is great. And what I said, well, what are you doing that's so great? And so much of it was they were spending time together. They were having, you know, conversations. I say spending time together is sexy. Yeah. And <laughs> that was cool. And then also they were working on their romance. I mean, you know, it, it, it is a time where you really can have more freedom to uh, enjoy the romantic side. But to do that, you, I mean, it takes work. You got to lean into it. Yeah, for sure. And people can get lazy in their marriage relationship. And I've said that to my husband. He'll say, you know, snap at me and I'll say, is that, would you have said that to anybody at your job? No. <laughs> so, you know, it's just a reminder. Hey, I'm your best friend. So you better treat me like I'm your best friend. <laughs> well, you know what? In the empty nest, when you work on it as your best friend, you're right. 80% of couples say in America in research say that uh, the reason that they have a successful marriage is because they're married to their best friend. So 80% say their spouse, their best friend. Kathy and I weren't best friends when we got, we were romantically, oh my gosh, there was sparks were crazy and we had fun. We became best friends. And I think that's what's really helped us both in the romance side and in the closeness side, uh, because we, you're right, at work, we don't treat people the same way, but we also don't treat our best friends that way. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm a lot nicer to some of the guys that I hang out with, you know, than sometimes with Kathy. And I, I understand that, you know, we let our defensive defenses down. But if they are your best friend, you are going to be more careful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As far as parenting goes, what advice would you have for a couple where one of the parents are exhibiting maybe something you would call codependency traits with an adult child that's maybe making poor choices? So it's the mom or the dad that's sneaking money or letting yeah. them use their car when the other spouse had said, no, they wrecked the other right. car. We're not lending it paying a cell phone bill, things like yeah. that. What would you advise? Because we can imagine that that causes strain on the marriage relationship. Yeah. Well, you're, you're reading my emails every day and you're reading when I speak on doing life with your adult children. That's the, the question. Okay, There's two different levels here. I'll start with one. One is you have to ask the question, are you helping your child when you're sneaking the money and whatnot? Or are you enabling dependency? Because the bottom line with your children 
is to help them become responsible adults. And I'm going to add who love God. If we're enabling dependency on us, okay, by giving them money or and especially sneaking it when we're not on the same page, then we're not helping them. We're actually, we think we're helping. I mean, our I, no one who's doing that thinks that they're, oh, I'm messing up my kid. But what happens with people who are, you know, basically dependent on us? They become entitled and then there's a failure to launch. And again, even if they're not in the house, there's a failure to launch toward responsible adulthood because mom and dad are bailing them out. So we know this in our mind and we still don't want little lovely whoever our young adult child to go without. So, you know, sometimes we'll do that. I get it. Um, secondly on that is when we, when we do that, we can't just be a one topic parent. Our heart is breaking because the child is violating their values, right? I mean, our values. Uh, I had a woman the other day say that her, her daughter had moved in with her boyfriend and she was heartbroken. I get it. I'd be hard. I'd be hard. Does your daughter know what you believe? Yes. Does your daughter know how you feel? Have you talked to her? Yes. Okay. Now expand the relationship because you've got to still be in a relationship with your daughter. You can't shun your daughter. And yet she knows how you feel. So to be a one-topic parent is only going to take you down a hole that you don't want to be and it's not going to help her. So I, what I suggest to them is that they live with tough love. Tough love is an interesting concept because a lot of us think tough love is, um, you know, being mean and shunning and being angry with our our kids because they violated values. No, tough love is allowing the consequences of their poor choices to happen so that, again, they'll learn. Because I said before, experience is a better teacher than, than advice. So those are the things that that person who, the parent who's enabling, they need to hear that. More than that, though, if a couple can get on the same page, uh, when it, what's the song? I think it was an 80s song. United, we stand, divided, we fall, whatever that was. I, I, it started coming in my head. I won't sing it to you. That would kill your podcast. People would be diving <laughs> up if I sang. But that's why I think it's really important that we are around others who have gone through this, are, you know, find mentors and, and support systems. That's why I think it's important for us to read at least one book a year on the subject of whatever our kids are. For example, if your kids are really little, then you read a book on, you know, on parenting five-year-olds. But if your kids mm -hmm. are adults, then read a book on adulthood. It doesn't have to be mine. Read a, mm -hmm. read a book on that and get as much on the same page because there isn't one book, and I've read them all, there isn't one book on that subject that's going to say to the person who's enabling their kids, that's a good idea. See, mm -hmm. so now... There's kind of a person from the far. And if you have to get counseling, you know, the Bible is very clear it, where there's no counsel, the people fall in the multitude That's of counselors. Good. There are safety. And sometimes the very best thing we can do is we can say in a marriage, look, we're at a stalemate. We need some help. Now, Kathy and I, I mean, I write books on parenting and marriage, right? And, yeah. and Kathy speaks on it. That's her background. But we are only in agreement 80% of the time. So, you know, we found that our deepest arguments were about our kids. And even as our kids became adults, I'd like be going, oh, but, you know, she if we could just help her with this. And Kathy's going, that's not going to be a good thing for her down the road. Because mm -hmm. She'd always say, play the movie forward. And so, you know, sometimes I just had to relinquish even what I thought was a good idea because I wanted to be on the same page with Kathy. And then eventually I, either I came around or she came around. But don't expect your spouse to be on the same page all the time. But to the spouse who's enabling, they need some information because they're mm -hmm. not helping their kid. And in their heart, they might know it. The hard part is they're uh, always, you know, doing it with right intentions. They're just the wrong way. Right. Yeah, that's really good. And we know that there are a lot of parents out there that are single parents. I have a brother who is 
has six children and they are facing the empty nest alone. What advice can you give them? Well, you know, I, I wrote a chapter in the book, Finding Joy on the Empty Nest and sing, was Single. And the, the reason I, I did was because there are millions of people like your brother. And sometimes when we think of the word empty nest, we go right to the marriage aspect. In fact, if you look at the books on empty nest, a lot of them are on marriage. Mm -hmm. Okay. They're really marriage books for empty nest for a later stage. So your brother is actually going through two things that you went through with one. Your brother is going through, as a single parent, whether it be divorce or death for anybody who's, who's a single parent, they have a significant relationship with their child in a different manner. The spouse is not involved in it. Okay. And so they have to, uh, they have to have, they have that huge loss. It's, it's a different kind of loss. The other thing is, is when you go into the empty nest, you're now going to the empty nest alone. So the other huge loss is going back to the divorce, going back to the death mm. and having to kind of relive it. And, you know, I know that there are times you know, because of being married to Kathy that I could lean on Kathy or Kathy could lean on me when you're in the single and in, in the empty nest, you need a support system around you. I call these replenishing relationships. Who are the replenishing relationships? Well, a lot of times in the single world, especially single parents, I, by the way, I think single parents do a great job. They don't know it. They're too tired and too busy. You know, there's too many things going on. But I find that a lot of them, what they don't have is the replenishing relationships. They're, they're out there, you know, they, because they've been working so hard and they pour in their time into their kids to get them through, you know, to, toward adulthood. So this is the time for them to make sure that they have some replenishing relationships. And one other side note, I, and again, I, I write about it in the book, but it's not a, I mean, it is a major issue if they're doing it, but you know, don't jump into a, you know, a, a, a romantic relationship just now because you're super lonely. Um, make wise choices in that. That's not going to fill your void, especially if it's not a wise decision. Right. I actually have a Christian single mom friend. And I tell her, nobody needs a baby daddy. You need a husband daddy. Because so, <laughs> a baby daddy just makes a baby and walks out the door. But you need a husband daddy. That's what we're praying for her for. Love that. <laughs> I love that. That's cool. Well, in your final chapter, you talk about a marvelous love affair between generations. Uh, Can you elaborate yeah. on that? Well, that marvelous love affair is grandparenting. And uh, one day I think I need to write a book on grandparenting. I... In the focus groups that we did before writing the book, people were intense about the losses and all that. And as soon as I would talk about grandkids, they would like go, <laughs> yes, this is my joy, you know? So I call that a love affair between generations because I have a, a kid in my life. His name is James. He's my grandson. He's named after me and he's seven. And honestly, it's just a love affair. I just, I can't wait to see him. I love seeing him. I focus, I FaceTimed him this morning before he went to school because he's missing two teeth at, in just two days. And uh, I wanted to see it. And, you know, I don't know that I was as tied in with my kids in terms of legacy as I am with my grandkids. So James and I, we've read through the children's Bible three times. It's a great big thick book, but you know, we've done that, you know, Charlotte today, when she came, we Kathy retired from teaching when James came into the picture because she wanted to be a fully engaged grandma. So Charlotte and James are well, they're right now at our house. They're they're being watched by, you know, the school's out. And so they're watching, Kathy's watching them. But Sharna comes early for an hour. And as soon as she walked in, she goes, Papa Jay, Bible app. Because I she loves this Bible app that I show her. And so not only is it a love affair, but it's probably perhaps the greatest legacy we will ever have. And it's it's hard for the people who are either doing it long distance or for the people who are doing it when their kids have strayed from faith and they don't want 
you know, their, their mom and dad to actually tie in spiritually and all that. What I'm saying is we've got to be the party time grandparents, which means, you know, don't be the grandparents who give your kids underwear and socks. I mean, <laughs> you got to have, don't make that a present. If, you, if they need underwear and socks, sneak it in, but you know, have fun. I mean, when, when my grandkids come into the house, I want to stop what I'm doing and just do that. I, you can't do that when you're a parent, you got other mm -hmm. things on. Right. And I, I'm, I laugh because even in here in my office, they'll go, wow, you're going home early. I know. Well, James and Charlotte are there. And we have a little Huxley who's, who's two years uh, old and he, his, he's, his eyes light up when he sees me. And guess what? My eyes are lighting up. In fact, I said over the weekend, like I said, we were in, in Palm Springs area and they come out of the car and he comes running up to me and I'm like, Huxley. And I give him a hug and I'm lifting him up, throwing him up in the air. And then I go, I love you. How are you? And my daughter says, Hey, what about me? Am I like chopped liver? I mean, I, I realized I hadn't even said hello to my daughter. Right. So the point going back to that is no, it's a love affair between generations and we get a chance to be their greatest cheerleader. And uh, there you go. That's, that's, it's a, it's a great experience to, to realize that we have a legacy from generation to generation to generation. My background was youth ministry. I mentioned to y'all and you know, so many people that I'd say, Hey, how'd you stay in the faith? And they'd go, you know, it was my praying grandma. Okay. Yeah. And I get it. You know, that's good. Yeah. You talk about legacy and, and one of your chapters is titled finishing well. What does that look like to you? Well, for one thing, finishing well, might be one of the most important messages I can give in the empty nest because people don't finish well, but what it looks like to me is there's a phrase that I use at the beginning of that chapter, significance and a well-lived life is never uh, uh, accidental, never accidental, right? <laughs> it's funny that I love that phrase that I forgot it, uh, but it's never accidental. And so what that means is if you're going to finish well, you're going to have to lean into what it takes to finish well, to finish well in every aspect of your life. And so I ask a lot of questions in that, in terms of to finish well, what does it look like? But I want to know what does it look like in your physical health? Are you doing what you, you can do to finish well in your physical health? I mean, I have to look at that now, you know, as I'm getting older, I, I look at people who are my age and I'm like, they eat lousy still. They're not working, you know, they're not keeping their body. The body's a temple of the Holy Spirit and they're not doing it. So we know what to do. We just don't do it. What are we doing to finish well in relationships, relationships with our spouse, with our kids? our grandkids, with, with other friends? What are we doing to finish well with friendships? What are we doing to finish well uh, in our spiritual life, and our spiritual health? And so you ask that question with a lot of those things, we pretty much know the answer, okay? And, to, and yet we don't do it. I mean, I do that with a lot of things, but to finish well means that we've made our top priorities our top priority. And, yeah. you know, I said it in, you know, three minutes and I could have said it in that one sentence. We know what our top priorities are. Now it's time to make those our priorities and we have a chance to finish well that way. People who finish well, um, I just was a part of a funeral of one of the greatest men I've ever known and he finished so well and uh, people were just so influenced by him even until the day he died He'll, and I'm still influenced by him. Well, he made wise choices in his life and his grandkids blessed him and his children blessed him and his wife blessed him and you know, at the funeral even. And, and today I'm a better person because of that. I want to be like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so good. And that's, that's our true legacy is that we are more godly on our way out the door 
then maybe we took yep. the time to be in our younger years. So, yes. so do you have any final words of wisdom to share with our audience? Because this has been a yeah. great interview and I'm excited for us to break down the book for them, but we'd love to hear you as the author, just give yeah. them some wisdom, give them some encouragement. Yeah. What, what I would do is give them hope because I think you're going to find that a lot of the people that are listening um, are not experiencing this joyful, empty nest. In fact, I almost didn't use the title finding joy in the empty nest because it's as if you, it's easy to find. But I think it, it goes down to the fact that there are certain principles you can put into, your, into place to really experience the empty nest to, a, to an extent that you never dreamed you could have. Um, it's not the end when the kids uh, go. It's, it's a new beginning for you. It's not the end of a relationship with your kids. It's a new beginning of a relationship that can be even better because now I'm honestly friends with my kids. We were talking about going on a trip and I said, well, really, I'd rather go with our family than with any of my, our good friends because they've become our friends. So there's great hope. And, you know, I always say a sinner marries another sinner and you have sinnerlings. So you're going to have that. You're bump into each other. You're going to have your moments. But nevertheless, the empty nest can be the place where you thrive the most. In, in most of the aspects of your life and and do it now while, while you still, I had lunch today with a guy whose wife is very ill. And uh, he said, I wish we would have done some of the things that we dreamed about when we first got into the empty nest because now it's too late. With, and he said that with you know his eyes, guys usually don't do this, but his eyes kind of moistened up because he said, you know, I just kept working and we didn't need the money, but I just kept working. And now look at it, you know, he's, he's caring for a, a very sick wife. So make the most of your life at, uh, now in the empty nest. Take advantage of that time. Yeah, that's so good. We so appreciate that you took the time to join us with your busy schedule. And we look forward to sharing the book. We're going to be going through it a couple chapters every podcast episode. And hopefully uh, it'll be a blessing to people out there because it's been a blessing to us. Thank you. And if there's any way we can help, I love that you're doing this. I'm so honored. I'm truly, I'm truly honored that you're going to go through that book and I hope it's benefit to, to your listener. Yeah, we really appreciate you. Thanks so much. And now for our giveaway instructions. All you have to do is head on over to our Not Meddling, Just Mothering Facebook or Instagram page and follow. And then go ahead and like and comment on our giveaway post and you'll be entered to win. It's easy as that. We're going to be picking the winner on Friday, March 3rd. And then we'll send that book right out so that you guys have enough time to read the first few chapters to be ready for our next episode. If you want to get that book right away, though, go ahead and go on to homeward.com. That's H-O-M-E-W-O-R-D.com. Dr. Burns has graciously given us a site-wide discount code for our listeners. You can enter You Got This Mamas. That's Y-O-U-G-O-T-T-H-I-S-M-A-M-A-S in the discount box and you'll get 15% off. We hope our listeners will go out and buy this book because it is just a wealth of wisdom and really good resource for you if you are struggling in the empty nest at this time. Missy, do you wanna go ahead and close in prayer? Sure. Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity to speak with Dr. Jim Burns today and to address an issue that maybe some families are struggling with and didn't even know where to find this wisdom. And so we ask you, Lord, that even in this time, you would touch the lives of parents, 
of spouses and the adult children that they are parenting. And we ask, Lord God, that you would just give us strength to see things your way and to hold on because we know that this is a path that you have given us to walk through with our adult children. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Today was amazing having Dr. Jim Burns here to kick off our entire project on finding joy in the empty nest. Having the opportunity to interview the author to this book was exactly where we wanted to get started. And whether you are doing this alone as a single parent or you've got a spouse that's coming alongside of you, you've got this mama.